Welcome to Apostolic Pulpit. I'm your host, Lane Kuhn. Today we have a great lesson by Reverend Marvin Treese. Marvin Treese was a pastor, author, and a conference teacher and preacher during his ministry. This particular lesson is on how we got the Bible, and it comes from the 1986 Louisiana Camp Meeting. The audio gets a little muddy at some points. However, content of this lesson is great for anyone interested in textual criticism. As always, I'm happy to have you here. If you'd like to partner or support the podcast, you can do so through Anchor. And so I anticipate a little smaller crowd today uh, because we're moving a little farther along in the camp and the nights are getting longer and uh, shorter. And uh, <laughs> there's so many comments that, oh, Brother Teresa, I want to be there so bad, but that's so early. <laughs> Time you said all day long in camp meeting. <laughs> it's been a great camp, and I hope that I maybe have contributed some uh maybe it's as good a place as any for us to uh to study some of these things i um I'm willing to share whatever I have with anyone, and uh, I feel like that that's what the Lord wants us to do. It's not for everyone to know. I don't believe that uh every preacher should or does uh, is required to know. Uh, Bible languages. I don't believe that at all. But um, as I said yesterday, I think that I do know this. You are plaything in the hands of men that know the languages. You're a plaything. A basic knowledge of the language, just a basic knowledge, helps you tremendously talking to the brother here who is uh, involved in Greek and Hebrew, and it sounds though at this point is an inductive method, and uh, and there's two ways that you can go about it. You can learn it like a, a language, a sound, you know, that can be done, um, and, and yet, uh, as I tell him, at some point it's going to be necessary for you to move deep into the grammar because it doesn't uh, for me to say some Greek words and say this means that and so and so doesn't really really prove that much to prove the scripture I have to be able to take that thing apart grammatically and uh, as the first day I showed you gave you the papers that had the parsing which is simply a word analysis that's the only way that we can prove uh, what some of these things are Tomorrow, I plan to give you an exposition on John and show you how that uh, by the language you can explore. And uh, how many was at the symposium? All right. I will be doing some of that uh, chiefly and yet maybe going into it just a little bit further. Uh, I was talking to Brother Hall last night. And the reports from the symposium have been overwhelming because it offered a format for study that we have never had before. Any other time at conferences or whatever, a man could get up and pose a particular idea and everybody said, what's wrong with him? Is he liberal or something? You know, this guy got into victory. Uh, but you came there not 
not thinking that. You knew we were there to think, and uh, it uh, it was a, it was a good format. We look forward to the next one that we'll have. Now, yesterday we dealt with um, uh, with some uh, challenges in the Book of Acts and some various scriptures. Uh, what I do today is a little bit further than I have taken some. As Brother uh, Cole mentioned, there are some sacred cows among us. I And I can't tell you uh, how little I think we're ready to grow up about some things. First thing is, the first question is, can we know some of these things and still be Pentecostal? Now, that's what's asked us, to be spiritual, to be holy, and, and to be on fire for God. Especially what I mentioned today is textual criticism. And I am driving more and more. I asked Brother Hall, uh, next symposium, let's have some textual criticism. And uh, we are a little bit apprehensive because we don't know. Most of us lack a basic knowledge of the Greek or the languages. And so we're afraid. But there's no need to be afraid at all. God still can jump in your heart in just a minute and thrill you if you pray and, and live for him. The Word of God not, does not become less because I study it and because I know where it came from. Now, it's, it's more of a miracle to me. I'm going to talk today about the preservation of Scripture or how we got the Bible. It is more of a miracle to me that I can see all of the divergent views, all of the manuscripts, the many uh, different ways that it is said, and still come out with what we have and agree. I'll say at the first part, Josh McDowell said in his book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that uh, all the variants, all the differences that we have in the manuscripts, he claims, does not change the basic message of, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ and so forth. Uh, I don't know whether I agree with that totally, I think that uh, there are some changes that are made. But uh, it's not anything to be afraid of whatsoever. We, uh, we just need to become more informed. My education does not try my salvation. Let me show you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John does not say word for word what the other one said. That's it. Does that make you doubt whatever they said? Does, uh, uh, what, what happens? I think that it would be uh, very suspect. I think that it would be very well criticized if, uh, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had the same thee and thou and all everything was said the same way, I believe you'd look at it sort of critical. Why? Because here are four men who saw or had witnesses 
of, uh, of Jesus and his teachings in his life. Now, if, if somebody comes in and says, now there's a wreck outside, and I want four of you fellas to go out, and I want you to come back and make a report on that wreck. Do you think they'd all come back in and say exactly the same thing? No. no. One would go out and come back in, and he would write about uh, the crash fenders and the money that's going to be involved in, in, in getting the thing fixed and whose fault it was. The other one would come back in and talk about who got hurt and uh, uh, the suffering and uh, so on. And every one of them would all be about the same wreck but would be a different thing. That does not make me doubt there's been a wreck out there, nor that all that these men said are, are uh, not true. One of them's true and the other is not. No. I simply realize that different men are impressed different ways with certain things. Uh, Matthew writes about Jesus as the king in the kingdom. Mark emphasizes the Son of God. Luke emphasizes the Son of Man. John emphasizes the God-Man. You barely see him touching the ground in the book of John. He is almost deity totally. And take that with a grain of salt. But uh, uh, in other words, they have different views. Now, when we go back into the preservation of the Scripture, let me talk to you first of all about uh, how writings were made. You had, first of all, uh, vellum, which uh, was skins that were written upon. And these were obviously the uh, uh, most well-preserved. And uh, uh, for many writings, they were, they were the best of all. Colorful, they would uh, write um, colorful colophons on them. And uh, then you have on them what is called, you are able with a skin to have what is called a palimpsest. Palimpsest, which meant that you could erase on this skin and rewrite it. Some of the major manuscripts we have of the Bible are palimpsests that maybe were written as, uh, as some sort of legal document for a government, and uh, that was erased, and, and they didn't have the volume of paper that we have now. Then the next is a uh, papyri. Now, papyri is from the pepper fruit which grows along the Nile. And uh, these roots are taken, and they're laid out first layer this way. Then they're crossed this way. And then they're pressed together, and they're laid out in the sun to dry, and it's called the rich man's writing paper. And this is uh, what it looks like, brown shopping bag. When it's through, now when the glass is over, you come up and study, and you can see the edge of this where there's crisscross on uh, on this. Now this this happens to be the book of Revelation from the Chester Baby Papyri that uh, I have the first in in the uh, uh, doctrines that I have. You have to have some original contribution to education, and I I have the uh, first translation of the Chester Baby Papyri. That it is not, and uh, and it's, uh, I should brag on myself for these commendations from Princeton Theological and so forth because of this. But I wanted to show you uh, the pathless route that's done on papyri, 
And uh, this uh, in uh, Egypt, where the humidity is low and uh, uh, it preserves very well. They found huge heaps out in the in the desert, just out in uh, the open. They dig into that. They find uh, they find the vellum as well, but they find the papyri, and uh, it is. Um, it is just most interesting. I studied in Egypt in uh, the uh, uh, Cairo Museum. The upper story is nothing but this papyri. And uh, it uh, is a lot of it Bible manuscripts. Some of it is, is just regular manuscripts. Now, Astraka was the poor man's way of writing. Astraka is pottery uh, that was found. And uh, a poor man find these bits of of uh, pottery would write upon it, and uh, have contributed a whole lot. In fact, uh, I told you about Adolf Deisman, who erased the 500 words that were supposed to be uh, Holy Ghost or Hebraistic words. Uh, many of the discoveries that he found to erase the 500 words that were not found in any. Uh, uh, book or any writing such as Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and so on. Uh, many of those were in Astraka. So I, I give you the the three methods. Now, of course, you have the the vellum that was rolled, and uh, it was rolled together. Uh, it was scrolled. The the book of Matthew on papyri was about 22 foot long. That's how long Matthew would be, about 22 foot long. Luke's about uh, uh, um, 17 foot long, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. All right? Now, you have, uh, in the different manners of writing, you had, first of all, the oldest manuscripts were done in uh, Unseal or Unseal, uh, depending on what school you went to. Unseal, which are the capital letters. And uh, then then you later on you had the minuscule, which is the smaller letters. And finally you get down about uh, the 12th and 15th century into the minuscule, which is cursive and is joined, and you get into... Um, and to punctuation and so forth about that time. Now, the the uh, if you can hear me, the manuscripts you didn't see here, there were no chapters and verses in the original. There were no divisions of sentences. There are no divisions of words. You have to know how to divide the words and uh, and then to divide the sentences. The uh, chapters and verses were not put there until about the 4th century, when they started out with what they call kephali, which were headings to manuscripts. Now, we do not have the original manuscripts, all right? You don't have them. Now, our organization says, and we passed it on the floor, that we believe in the... Uh, uh, infallible Word of God contained in the uh, original manuscripts. All right. Let's say, why can't we say other? Why can't we say oldest? Because some of the oldest that we have do not, uh, most of the oldest we have don't go back that far. 
What you've got is translation. And uh, so we have to deal with that. Now, as, uh, as time went on, I'm going to show you in a little bit the different ages of manuscripts, and you can come up and look at them when, uh, when we're through. I have, I should say, most of the major manuscripts in my library. I have the complete text of Erasmus, uh, which is a textus receptus of which the uh, King James came from, was taken from. I have Alexandrinus, I have Sinaiticus, I have most of the major manuscripts. And uh, I, am, uh, I am doing a lot of comparing and so forth. Now, when they wrote, they, they, uh, first of all, it was done mostly by religious people. Monks did a lot of the early writing. And uh, we can understand that and, and appreciate it. But later on, when, uh, when the church became part of the state and vice versa, church and state, then it was the state who hired scribes to write. And uh, in, this, in this writing, uh, if you wanted... They didn't have printing machines back then, or copy machines, as you know. If you wanted uh, 50 copies of the Bible, you had got 50 scribes, 50 writers. And uh, you dictated or read to them. You were called with scriptoriums. Now, these were places where there was one man on a raised platform, and uh, he had these writers all around him. At one time, uh, Constantine ordered 50 copies of the New Testament uh, for the churches. Eusebius uh, uh, had those printed up. All right. Now, in this man reading these scribes all around him, if you spoke, you were docked and paid. If you, uh, if you said anything, total quietness, because there are many mistakes that can be made. Let me point it out to you. There are mistakes of the eye. Mistakes of the eye. That have you ever written a line and then later go back after you've gotten through and realize you've written that line twice? How many ever done that? That's a mistake of the eye and the brain, too, I guess. But uh, that happened a whole lot. There are mistakes of the ear. And that is uh, a different in, in word. Just saying different in words. Get close. You, you get close to it, and you hear it different. So there were mistakes that were made of the hearing. There are... Uh, there were mistakes in spelling. There was nobody, there was nobody, uh, can you, is that, is that singing disturbing you back there? All right, if we need to, we can turn this up a little more, Brother Tony. Is, is it wide open? Well, make you come hold it up. <laughs> well, it'll do like a turtle on the fence pole, so it'll help it out. <laughs> All right. I, I want you to be able to hear. Maybe they'll get to preaching after a while and they get quieter. <clears throat> All right. But you had mistakes of, of, uh, of spelling. Remember, mistakes of the eye, 
mistakes of the of the handwriting even. Any way you can do it. Now, uh, those exist. We have those. We have those mistakes. We do not have it as it was written in the original. I believe that the Word of God was infallible and correct in the original. But we don't have the original. So we got a problem, don't we? Right. Are you one of those that just believe, no, no. There's a book that is written. One of our preachers has written a book about it. That the King James is a miracle, uh, infallible uh, uh, word of God. And I know where he got it. He got it from a Ryman, Dr. Ryman, who wrote a book uh, on textual criticism. And it's a blind naivety. It's just, it's blind. And that's not putting it down. Uh, you'll find out my confidence in the King James Version is, is great. But it is, you know, it, it doesn't do us any good to be blind. And realize how we got this thing. I'll show you some kind of spectacular things after a while, what can be done just with color fonts. Now, when they were sitting there, and they were writing, and they were listening, totally quiet, it was often freezing cold, and the heating systems were poor along uh, in the uh, second and third and fourth and on through century. So, uh, a man not able to speak to his neighbor out on the edge of his paper or on the edge of his papyri of uh, skin that he was writing, would uh, make a note to his neighbor, it is very cold in here. Now, you'd be surprised how many of those colophons were picked up and put in the text. They would write down uh, at the bottom, the end of the book, thank God. And, and this guy was getting paid to do this, you know, and so he comes to the end of it, and it's like, it's like you quitting on day's work. Thank the Lord that's over, you know. That's what he did. At the end of the book, thank God, it's there. And it's there in the text. There were a lot of blessings that were put out. One of them very uh, was very unique. Uh, blessed is he who reads this book. God will save him. More blessed is the scribe that has written this book. <laughs> Amen. Because his reward is certainly eternal. <laughs> and that was put in. Uh, that was put into the text. Uh, there was one that is written, He who thinks being a scribe is easy has never written. For although there were only three fingers involved, the stomach cleaves to the backbone, the hand is paralyzed, and there is a general debilitating of the body. <laughs> and, and that was put in. You've got to handle all of that when you start handling manuscripts. And then there were some who would do a, a exegetical work. Uh, and I'll point out to you that First John 5 and 7 is an exegetical colophon on the edge. And uh, you'll, you'll want to, uh, to get that in just a little bit. We'll start talking about it. But um, that, that's kind of colorful. But they, they have all these manuscripts, and out of the same scriptorium, there were some different spellings 
lines were coughing twice, and some man would would uh, say, uh, "Our Lord." The reader would say, "In the name of our Lord," and uh, and and the man would write without without thinking twice in the name of the Lord Jesus. I was listening yesterday to Brother Cole read from the book of Acts. I was reading from the Greek text, and and it is the nineteenth chapter where it says, "I believe this Lord." It has in the original text, Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that is a choice of manuscripts that uh, that is done by. But anyway, I, I think that uh, I think that you're getting the picture. We don't have the original. Now let me go through the uh, manuscripts that we have sort of of an age here. Now I know you can't see them up close, but you can come and examine them and read what I have. I prepared these so that when I was teaching uh, a class in it, I, I have it to refer to to uh, the young people. You're looking here at the oldest piece of the New Testament that we have. This is called the uh, Bodnia Papyri, and it is... Uh, it is a portion of the Gospel of John. It's the oldest piece of the New Testament that we have. And this dates back probably to the latter part of the first century or to the early part of the second century, almost back to the time of John. It is believed that this could have been maybe part of John's writings. And you will see what I've got underlined. Uh, I have, it is an actual translation. Uh, in the parenthesis, I have had to add the words uh, to make it where you can continue reading. So that's the oldest piece. That's a very valuable manuscript, as you can imagine right there, because it dates back almost to the Apostle John. Now you're looking at uh, as what is over here. Only this is a photograph, or this is a uh, uh, colotype over here. But this is the Chester Beatty papyri. Chester Beatty, for most part of Chester Beatty, is the oldest, most complete uh, manuscript that we have. Now we have some that are older, such as the Bodmer papyri, but it's not as near complete. You have some that are are much nicer in writing in later years, but they are not complete. Uh, some of this is scattered. I, I, I studied in the University of Michigan to get part of it. There's about 30 leaves of it that are there. The rest of it is in uh, Trinity, uh, is in Dublin College. I was in Dublin, uh, Ireland, and uh, I had to go there to get that. This is about 200 A.D. This is just the baby. The writing is, uh, you have to get used to the, every scribe, every manuscript you pick up, you have to get used to the writing. Now, it is just as easy for them to put manuscripts and find the same writers and what age the writing was because of the style of writing as it is today for you to pick up uh, somebody else's writing and, and, and to place them alongside one another and say, well, this is written by the same fellow that was written by. Look at that. Or, look, back at this period of time, they wrote like this. And to use the same uh, 
same style of writing. All right? Now, I'm sorry that uh, I didn't know they were having service this morning this early. This is, uh, I hope that doesn't disrupt you. I've got, uh, I've got this translated. This shows uh, uh, Corinthians ending and Galatians are uh, in the Ephesians, I'm sorry, and then Galatians uh, ending. Uh, one thing about the Chester Baby Papyri, it has the book of Hebrews following the book of Acts. And remember, I'm talking about the oldest, most complete manuscript we've got. Puts Hebrews next to the book of Acts. And uh, the next thing we come to is the Sinaiticus. The Sinaiticus was uh, uh, about 4th century. It is done in capital letters. It is done in columns of four. It is a very complete manuscript of the New Testament. Now, this was not discovered until, uh, oh, I don't know, 12th century perhaps. A man by the name of Kishendorf went to Mount Sinai and to a Greek monastery that was there. And by the way, how many have heard that in the last year, the discoveries that were made of the manuscripts at St. Catherine uh, Monastery on Sinai. In doing some renovation of that old monastery, they tore into the walls, and they have found literally boxes of manuscripts. They will not release that yet. I have been asking. I have been trying to find out how and where can I go. When will these be released? The Germans are very tight with their their findings. They're very tight. Uh, I, I don't know whether it is they love the claim of scholarship or what, but they don't like to put them out. Uh, somebody, you asked me, said, do you expect any great changes in the Bible by the finding of these manuscripts? No. Uh, they're probably... They'll probably be no different than the manuscript they found here. Tischendorf went to that uh, 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 monastery, and uh, they brought him bread out uh, for a napkin, for a plate. They brought it out on this papyri leaf. And uh, when he was eating his bread, he got to looking, and that was scripture that was written on that. A butter dish... They had they had butter in it. Well, these dudes live in celibate. These monks live in there, uh, and they had a butter dish, and it was just a folded up piece of paper uh, or skin that had been molded to that. He got to looking at it. What a picture! And he got he got suspicious. He said, "Where are you getting this? Because we have we have lots of it here." Lots of these old writings here. We we just use them for firewood, and uh, we use them for dishes. And and uh, when he left, he got to thinking, and he began to try to get permission. And it took him I don't know how long to get permission. And when they realized that this man, who was a scholar, thinking they might have something that was important, then they began to make it hard to see. But he went back and he kept trading and he kept buying and he kept tempting until finally he got uh, he got the Sinaiticus, 4th century. One of the oldest that we've got. That was a, that was a great find. 
Now, uh, so uh, this is an important one. It is dominated by Catholicism, however, and Pischendorf dedicated it to a certain pope at that time. Now, I've got translated the particular portion of Scripture that I have here. Then, uh, then I have what is the Alexandrinus. Uh, the work was done in uh, uh, Alexandria, and I've, it, I've got the, all about it right here that you can come up and read it. It is very uh, decorated. It has uh, a lot of uh, fancy work done in it. It is a manuscript of two columns. Here is the baby that I love, is the Alexandrinus. It is Byzantine, which I will point out to you in a little bit. It is Koine, and it is very complete in all of its words. I love the Alexandrinus. When I went to uh, study, and I got permission, Dr. Bruce Mesker of Princeton uh, gave, uh, helped me to get in and helped me to study. The first thing I asked for was bring me the Alexandrinus manuscript. Now you can imagine how I felt when they brought this manuscript going back to the 4th century. And this man stood right over my shoulder for a long time to make sure that I knew what I was doing. You don't touch it with your hands. You handle the pages with a piece of tissue paper because they don't want any marks on it whatsoever. All right. Now, you have no headings. You have, it doesn't say the gospel according to Matthew. It doesn't say Cotamathion. It doesn't say Cotahion. It doesn't say Postgalatians. It doesn't say, it doesn't have a heading. You have no chapters and verses. What am I looking at? All you do is develop a method to locate yourself. And I, I, I began to develop it. I, I wrote and I translated here. All right. Take my concordance. Find where I am. I am in, uh, I am in Acts. All right. I am Acts, in Acts 20. All right. Then I would turn a page and I would translate again. Look it up, and I had seen that I had moved only two chapters. So I would count. I would count lines and then pages, and it would put me back before what I wanted just a little bit. What I was looking for was the Ethiopian eunuch and his experience, first of all. That's what I wanted to see, first of all. And, and so by counting... And, and, and translating and counting, finally, my eyes fell upon it without reading anything else about it. It said, Kai to Numa. Epiton, Epiton, Numicon. And the Holy Ghost fell upon the eunuch. Amen. It says, when they went down in the water together, that when he came out of the water, the Holy Ghost fell. I always believe that anyhow. Hallelujah. Amen. The Holy Ghost fell upon the unit. And then he looked around for Philip, and he could not find him. And he uses the same word that is used for us in the rapture. He could not find him, for he had harpazo. Amen. 
he had been stolen away. If you want to know what the rapture is going to be like, then just read what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch, and you'll find out uh, exactly what the rapture is going to be like, because when he came out of the water, the Holy Ghost fell on him, and he looked around for the man that had baptized him and couldn't find him because the Lord had harpazay, had stolen him away. I was preaching, uh, I was preaching one time at a conference, general conference, and I mentioned something about, I got on prophecy, I'll get on it invariably before I'm through. And the man come up and said, oh, you believe in two comings of the Lord back to earth, don't you? I said, no, I believe in one coming of the Lord back to earth. I said, when he comes back the first time, he's not coming all the way back to earth. We're going to rise to meet him in the LA and the upper atmosphere. And then we're going to return with him. And you may be post-tribulation. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but um, we'll return with him. At a... <laughs> all right. That doesn't make any difference. We're going to rise to meet him in the air. Then he said, oh, you believe in a secret coming of the Lord then, don't you? And I said, I admit I do. You believe in a secret coming of the Lord? I said, yes, I do. He said, give me scripture. I said, it's there. You know what the scripture says? We are caught up to meet him in the air. The word is that we are seized or we are stolen away. Amen. Thank God. So when we are... Uh, it's harpazo. Don't forget that word. You may want to write that one down. Harpazo is stolen away. Uh, Alexandrinus. Uh, Alex, somebody asked me about uh, the, the ending of Mark. The ending of Mark. Alexandrinus has the ending of Mark. All right? As well as some other manuscripts. Now, I use, I told you, and I don't know whether I should get there yet, but I use, this is, I left my Greek text at home. I use United Bible Society text, Greek text. It has a textual apparatus. When I'm reading along and it said, and the Lord God, and there's a, there's a number by that God, five. I drop down to the bottom and I see it. It is given an A, B, C, or D. And if it's an A, it's in most of the manuscripts. B, it's not in all of them. C, it's half and half. D, you know, it's very, very, very light. If it's not in there, it's not in there. And there's nothing said about it. It is, it is no Greek text. This is a book that takes care of those, those variants. This is a companion to the text I have. In every verse in the Bible where there is a difference in manuscript, it gives you that word out here. Like gaze here, word. A, it gives it an A. Uh, it says in order to satisfy past curiosity concerning what is Jesus wrote upon the ground. This is the way he's writing on the ground. After gave several witnesses give you that he writes on the ground and begin to list the manuscripts where Jesus wrote upon the ground. And then there are some that write on, write, uh, give manuscripts, certain ones it says, he wrote the, their sins on the ground. 
There's some manuscripts that have that. But this is a companion. That's the reason I like it. I can pick it up, and I can see what manuscripts have what. And then through the years, you develop a method of textual criticism that gives you confidence in what you're doing. Let me let me get back to where I am over here. So this this is about first century. Alexandrinus. I like Alexandrinus. And I have much of this. Now, uh, Gutenberg with the printing press in about fourteen hundred when they began to use movable type, we began to be able to have more copies quicker, you know, it it really and, and cheaper. So it was a was a great thing. The first uh, the first thing that was printed was Jerome's Latin Vulgate. That was the first thing that was printed about 1450. Heavy Catholic. They have their manuscripts they favor. And, uh, and uh, I don't generally like to look at theirs. But in 1450, now, but, when the but you remember back in those times, the laity was not allowed to have the Bible. Are you aware of that? Yeah. I'm aware of that. They said the people couldn't understand it would be dangerous only for the clergy. So it was a Latin Vulgate and it was only for the ministry. They were the only ones that could understand it. Almost the same thing is happening in the United Pentecostal Church today. We are being preached to us. Don't study this. This is dangerous. Right. 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 Now, 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 Brother Cole says that he's going to shock you. I can rattle your brain. You know, you know, not shock you. I can give you several votes that you wouldn't straighten up from unless you're ready for it. Amen. But hey, I know what I got. I know what the Bible says. Praise God. Nothing's going to shake that. All I'm going to do is seek it out, and the more I seek out, the more I'm proven right. Why shouldn't I go ahead? Listen, Pentecost, we should be the ones forging ahead in this study. Trying to get back to the original, because the closer you get to that, they're going to find that we are right. I've never seen anything that was different. I have never seen anything that was different. When you go back far enough, Eusebius says, Matthew 28, 19, read in the name of Jesus. If we can ever discover... Now, I didn't say that I don't... Uh, that I got a manuscript that has that. I don't. We don't have one back that far. But Eusebius had copies of the original in Caesarea, he claimed. And when he came to the council of Isaiah, wherever it was, he, he said, he had compass, and he said, it is in the name of Jesus. He was threatened with excommunication. He did a flip-flop and went over to the Trinitarian position. All right. But somewhere, somewhere, someday, they're still digging. We're still finding, just like in that monastery. What, what if we could... Uh, find Samaritans like the Pumam and find scrolls that go back before Jesus was born. What about that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could find either an original 
or a copy of an original that would straighten Matthew 28 19 out for us. We ought to be the ones digging. Don't be afraid of it. They have tried for years. The devil has tested years. That little book there is filled with variants. It's filled with variants. Maybe a B or a he or an entire phrase or sometimes an entire verse that's filled with it. But none of it ever puts down the message that we have in God. You know, I want to come up and look at this. You know, I want to look at that and see sort of what we're talking about. I've got to hurry on here. Amen. But I'm thrilled here today that you are willing to study and that you are not close yourself in a box and say, all right, uh, the only thing for me to do is just say King James is the, is the, is the infallible Word of God. That's foolish. I'll show you where King James comes from in just a moment. And I have confidence in it because it was ordered and unbiased uh, translation. But then there was a race that got on with the printing press came, and there was a man by the name of the Xenomies who was in a race with a man named Erasmus to print a Greek text, not Latin, but go all the way back to the Greek text and give it to the people. All right, the race was on. Uh, uh, Xenomies came up first with it with what was called competition polygot. You have to gargle that one. <laughs> but it just, a polygot means many languages. And I think the first one had more languages than what I have here. I have here, I have Greek on this side and I have Latin on this side. So that was the first printed Greek text that we have was by Xenomies. But Erasmus was in a, in a rush. Uh, to beat him, and he began to scramble, and uh, all the texts he could find were later texts, not the earlier texts. We don't know what texts are behind the competition polyglot. We don't know what manuscripts are behind it. But Erasmus run around, scraped up, most he could find were minuscule or small letters. We know that the earliest ones were, were capital letters. That doesn't mean the minuscule are not as accurate and maybe more accurate. But because this time they had a collection of them and comparisons could be made, and oftentimes in the minuscule you could have a, a closer text to the original because of of the fact that uh, you have a lot of comparisons. Twice so today, you can get a better translation today than you could in 1500 because they didn't have the original then and they didn't have all the material at their disposal. Archaeology wasn't what it was. You're looking at, you're looking at Erasmus text. This is called and was later called the text of Erasmus. Call the Textus Receptus because Erasmus says, I want to put out a text that will not be loaded down with Catholicism and with the manuscripts they like. I want a, and he advertised it, and his advertisers, advertisers put out, here is a text that can be received by everybody. Therefore, the word Textus Receptus is a blurb, which is a advertisers program that we say this is a text that can be received by everybody and it became settled and it is almost 
mystical. It is almost magic. It has been received and accepted by us as though God didn't write the Bible until the 15th century and Erasmus was a scribe and, uh, and he wrote the Textus Receptus. Well, I can point out to you that they are very inferior texts in many ways. I believe superior in some ways, but inferior in others. Do you see the notes, the colophons out to the side? Can you see it from where you are? Have you got eyes that good? My, I know my wife can't. Uh, but there are notes out the side. Down here at the very bottom, I know you can't see, but you can come up and look at it one show with. And you've got the word written, Pray on behalf of those who are persecuting you. There is an arrow drawn, just like we do, up to this point to put that in right here. He corrected the text against other texts. And the Brother J.W., who is here with me, did a work for me. I, uh, my church, uh, upon uh, graduation and receiving uh, the, uh, the doctorate degree, gave me uh, finance, a blank check, to go to Basel, Switzerland, and to study in the University of Basel uh, for the Textus Receptus. And my plans were made. I was making my trip. The head of the theological department there wrote and told me, said, uh, Reverend Treese, I think I can save you a lot of trouble. You can come later, but I'm going to send you a microfilm of the entire uh, Textus Receptus. And you can study that and then come and look at the original if you want to. So Brother J.W. had uh, took it from the, uh, from the microfilm and put it on page about this size. And uh, so I have, it's about that big, the Textus Receptus of the entire Bible. So uh, it is inferior text. Uh, it is very difficult to read until you get the hang of it, because here it's, it's cursive. That lets you know it's very late. It's not an early manuscript. That doesn't mean it's not very good. That just means it's very early. All right? Now then, uh, we get into uh, Erasmus. His text, the Catholics rejected it. They would not allow their scholars to use it. And one of the reasons was, is the comma Johannan. You may want to write that down. Comma Johannan. And that is 1 John 5 and 7. It does not say, there, because Erasmus did not include that in his text. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. That was in no Greek text. And uh, the, uh, the Catholic scholars were not allowed to use it because they said, you don't have the comma Johannine. He said, you show me that in any Greek text, and I will put it in my next edition. There was a Franciscan monk by the name of Foy, or Roy, we can't tell exactly which, in Trinity Dublin College. And I went there and studied him, and studied his work. And here, here is, he made a copy of the Greek New Testament strictly for Erasmus that had this comma Johannan in it and presented it as the Dezure text. Erasmus, true to his word, put it into the next edition of his Textus Receptus, but originally had a note at the bottom that he knew this had been printed just to confute him. 
But uh, the authorized version, King James, left out that qualifying statement of the comma Jehannan. It left that out. So what happens? Every scholar, and you've got to be blind are terribly prejudiced. Uh, Trinitarian scholars, one of the greatest ones is, is A.P. Robertson, and he says this was a exegetical note and colophon that was put out of the side. Some scribe writing in Jerome's Latin Vulgate saw there are three that are witnessing on the earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. He wrote out to the and there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That was put in, put in the Latin Vulgate by Jerome by a, as a colophon and was in no original Greek text. But like I say, the way you got it is there is because Erasmus held his word. Show me that in a Greek text and I'll put it in there. It's called MS 61. This text. It is about uh, about the 15th century. It is fresh. They brought me that text. It is the pages are fresh and bright as it can be until you you open it. It just falls open. The First John five and seven. Through all these years, people haven't said anything else but First John five seven. There, open up and you can see the smudges. And here it is. This is what you look at the smudges that's around here where the hands have handled it for all of those years. So I thought that you'd be interested in seeing some of those manuscripts. All right? I am uh, I'm going to... I, I don't think I've got much uh, time for uh, textual criticism. I've got to uh, uh, handle it just a little bit, if I may. All right? This microphone up here. I didn't have me a pen. Where's my right? All right. I got it now. I want to point out to you how yeah, how do you decide which manuscripts to include? How do you know which ones? Thousands of them. All right? There are different methods that, that you can go by. The classical method is that Z represents the original autographs, branching off to Y and to A as to different time periods, as to different geographical areas, as to different type of text. From this point, you have many, many manuscripts that branch off. All right, so you have to start doing some comparison. From this one that branches here, you have X, and under B, C, and D, you have some texts that are almost the same in age, that are same in language, that are almost the same as A. And so you start developing families of manuscripts. You have E, F, and G that are, are, are similar. They are similar, and yet they have a closer relationship in style and uh, external evidence to why. All right. Then we can go on. I'll show you a moment. You break this down. And if I start finding any of these manuscripts that agree, 
His headquarters in Egypt. Some of these are up in Rome. But I find from some of these that begin to agree that are similar, then I know I've got something. I know I've found where somebody had a common manuscript that they copied from. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. It is an art. It is not an exact science, but it is an art. These divisions are, as I said by, uh, Brother J.W., can you come up and loose this and let me go? Put on the, another one, and I'll go a little farther into that. Are you, are you doing all right? Heaven is following me. Now, this is like going to school, but I'm going to tell you what. It'll help you. It'll help you a long way down the road. I, I, I love to shout, and I shout. But I tell you what, I can shout more about something you show me that's, that's real and from the Word of God, more than just the fact that I'm stand up here saying I feel good. You may feel good, and I may not feel so good. All right. Now I get a little. This is a this is a little further developed method. That was a classical method. It's a little further developed method. I have the original autographs. Now we divide them into areas: Alexandrian, which is uh, uh, Alexand Alexandria, Egypt, Eastern, and Western. All right. We, we're getting them down into three classifications here. Under the Alexandrian. I have these manuscripts. This is the Sinaiticus that I showed you here a while ago. This is the Sahidic. And this is Vaticanus. Now, I have very little confidence in the Vaticanus. You mentioned Hart and Westcott. I have very little confidence because they stay so close to the Vaticanus, and they won't let you study the Vaticanus. You can't see it. There must be something wrong with it. Why not put it out? Why be secret about it? Do you have, uh, do you have then the uh, uh, the uh, classic and the Bohemic and so forth? These don't mean anything to you, but you've got them here. And sometime later, it's while you're studying, you run across these these uh, initials that stand for manuscripts. You'll know what I'm talking about. Under the Eastern Division, you have Caesarea, and from that is the Ephraim manuscript. You have uh, Antioch. You have the Syria. The Syriac. And uh, this is the ancient. There's about four different versions of Syriac. And we know that probably the Syriac is the closest to the original. Now, here is what is strange and why I like King James. Strangely, Erasmus collecting his text, it conforms closer to the Syriac text. We know that the manuscripts probably went to where first Antioch, because that became the center of world evangelization. All right? So from Antioch, you probably can realize you have nearer some of the near older. But don't be naive. Don't block it all out. There's a lot of things that happen. Just like, just like I was telling you a while ago, everybody can make a mistake writing. And, uh, and yet, yet you can see all of these. Now, there is a Western that I care less for, and this is Italy, heavily, uh, heavily dealt with. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm not do better up here, huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, heavily dealt with. Sure. 
Come back here. Well, Tim said, actually, you can go as long as you want to. I'm <laughs> 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 having a good time. We're talking about where we got our Bible. You here today are seeing where you got your Bible, and it's not tearing your face down. We know it is a compilation of manuscripts. Thank God. But uh, Italy, you can imagine, is Latin. And heavily Romish. Heavily Catholic. It's going to be that. All right. Notice this does not come down and touch this into any great degree. But somewhere in here, Africa. Now, Africa was able to get a hold of some good manuscripts. You have some of them from there. But notice how, finally, in the Textus Receptus, we went back and we took some of the Alexandrinus, especially the Sinaiticus and some of the Vaticanus. And then from the uh, uh, from the eastern, we got the Syriac. Also from, from here is Alexandrian. I might mention that. Uh, and, and so it comes down finally to the revised text of Lucian. This is the way... Uh, this is the way that uh, Erasmus did it. You come down to what is called Byzantine or Standard Text, which is strongly Alexandrian, from which I say I really like. Uh, there was uh, there's several things about the Alexandrian uh, I may have time to mention to you that are very that are very good for us. But uh, you, you come on down finally the text that's receptive. This, this is the way that you, you get uh, these manuscripts. Brother J.W., what happened to my other ones? All right, put up my next one. It's, and, and just, uh, you haven't worked that machine there. Say praise the Lord. Oh, thank God. Thank God for His Word. It's amazing. Did you know the closest you can get to an original writing of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Sophocles, you know, you know the closest you can get is the 10th century. You don't have any manuscripts of these philosophers, and yet people quote them like they are looking at the original. It's the closest you can get. But I showed you where that with the Bible, we not only get back to the 4th century, we get back to the 2nd century, and even we get back and touch the 1st century. Thank God. All right. How are you going to decide which manuscripts to use? I should stay up here. I'm not used to this. Here is the way you want to do textual criticism, and I'll just run through it, and you can you can uh, take notes or whatever. You want to look number one at the external evidence of the manuscript. Decide the date of that witness. We call them witnesses. The date of it, and sometimes more than the date, the style of writing. Then you want to look at geographical distribution. As I said, if I can find a manuscript in Rome that is written about the same time of a manuscript I find in Egypt or Africa, same style, same date as to its style and so forth, and says the same thing, I've got something. I can know that that is pretty well original. Now, there's a new thing coming out, and some of our preachers are going by this. The majority text. And that's just count heads. Well, that's no good. If you've got a pile of manuscripts from, uh, 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 from uh, 
Well, and there was a scriptorium there. They could crank those things out. And all you'd have would be one date, one style, 15,000 of them. So it is not, you can't decide the manuscript just by the majority. What I'm showing you is, if I can find one that is of an ancient date in one locality, and another of that same date and style in another locality, I got something because I realized that somewhere these came from a common ancestor, which is genealogical relation. All right? How many understand that? That's easy to understand. I think that you can see uh, why you can't refute that. Internal evidence. You have to look at internal evidence. The most difficult reading and rendering is preferred. Just like today, the easier to understand versions are not closer to the original. No. Why? Because they're trying to make it easier to understand. They're selling Bibles. They're watering it down, selling Bibles, making money. And, uh, well, you've got one now uh, called the Reader's Digest Bible. Huh? Would you know who served on that? Who was the head of that? Dr. Bruce Metzger, the guy that was such a friend to me, and uh, and so on. I was on the phone with him. I said, are you, are you uh, on this thing of this Reader's Digest? He's glad. He said, yeah, but it's easy. He said, it's just the Bible, you know. I get paid for it. That's that's exactly how they they go by it. This feminist Bible that they want to present, where God is neither man nor woman. Well, I believe that. I don't believe he's either man or woman. I believe he's God. But I think man is the reflection of God, and woman is the reflection of man. You're ignorant of the Bible when you don't look at it. Internal evidence is the most difficult, is preferred. That's why I said, and what I'm trying, I'm not going to prepare, and I'm not going to translate the Bible to produce never the words say this is a translation. I am wanting to produce a commentary on the Greek text. I will have translation in it, but it will not be easy to read, nor for people to say it's a translation so that we can pick it up and read it. It's going to be difficult to understand because the closer you get back to the original, the more difficult that it is. All right? The shorter reading is preferred. Why? Because once again, they want to they add to it trying to make it clear. Some scribe thinks he's God, and he read along here, there are three that bear witness or agree on earth, water, spirit, and blood. He said, yeah, there are three that bear witness in heaven. And from then on, three God people have jumped up and down and said, we've got it. They don't say three persons are one anyway. That's right. All right, then paragraphical detail and habits of the scribe. You can, there are handwriting experts that can tell whether you wrote the, the, the terrorist note. You know that, don't you? You know now they can tell your personality nearly by your handwriting. You're tight, robbed, you're generous, and all these different kinds of things. They can, they can decide that. Uh, so that helps. Now, here are, and I'll start to be ready for my other one here. Uh, you can leave it uh, there. Uh, groups of text. I mentioned the Cornell Byzantine. All right, the Gospels have 
Alexandrinus, ask for me these different, and I, there are charts that you can get to give you the different uh, names of these manuscripts under this heading. But uh, in the Gospels, these are used. In the Acts, these are used. Most of these are minuscule. And in the Epistle, pistols. Most minuscules. Now, pre-Koine or pre-Byzantine are the Caesarean texts put up in this heart. This is Hart uh, and Westcott. They, they really go by this, and I have very little confidence in it because it's heavy, always leans toward the Catholic. Always leans toward the Catholic position. That's why I like uh, I like the Textus Receptus is because I think that that uh, Erasmus was tired of the Catholic propaganda. I believe that he reached out and got his minuscule, though they were inferior texts. Yet he was able to form and compilation and to date it back, go back to the original Syrian text. All right, uh, Alexandrian is another division. P45, when you see that P, that's papyri. What I've got right here, that's papyri. And P46. Uh, also in the Alexandrian is the Sinaiticus, the Vaticanus, the Sahitic, the Clement, and Origen. Alright, the Western group, you've got these different ones, the Syriac, the Boheric, Latin Fathers, Tatian, Diatessaron. Let me tell you this about, uh, do you know about Tatian and the Diatessaron? Uh, there was a man in the early church by the name of Tatian, and he took the Gospels, and he says, uh, now every parable and every story and everything that Jesus said is a little bit different in each Gospel. I am going to write and take the four Gospels. Dia means through, Tethera is four. Through the four. And I am going to take from what one does not have, I'm going to take it from over here and put it with that. And I'll reach down. If it says it different in John, I'll take what John says, and I'll include that in there. So that when you read the Decathlon, you are reading as one uh, continuous story without, and it's all the same, uh, you know, all the way through. I'm right now preparing what I call a prophetic Decathlon. I am taking the scriptures of Matthew 24, uh, Luke 21, and so on. The uh, prophecy scriptures from the Gospels. I am merging them into one. So that when you read these scriptures, you're reading what Jesus had to say about the end of the world and the signs of the times of the coming and the destruction of Jerusalem. When you read that, you'll read it in a line uh, and collect it from the four Gospels, and I'll be presenting that as a study at my church uh, before too long, possibly before the summer is out, called the Prophetic Vitessera. All right, I'm not going to go uh, very much further with you here today, but uh, somebody said, what do we do? We can't read Greek. I, I think that today can serve as a launching. Now, you know, I give this illustration. Man standing in a raging river, and he, he's wanting to get across, and he's standing on the tiptoes, and he, he's looking way over there, and it's wide, and it's deep, and it's rough. And he says, I wish I could get across. I need to get across. I need to be over there so badly. The rest of my life is on the other side of that river to continue. Some man comes along and says, what's wrong, bud? He says, I'd like, I need desperately to cross this river. The man says, well, there's a bridge up the river about two miles. Oh. That's too easy. That's too simple. That river, that wide, that up, no, 
see a man having to swim, get on a log, fight, whirlpools? It's just too simplistic to say there's a bridge. Now, you may never go see about that bridge, but it'll always worry him to death. Amen. Because somebody told him there was one. Now, you may not, and others may not ever believe that there is a way across. Brother, Brother Timmy talked about textual criticism, and I suppose he called it a firecracker and a fog. You know, and that's what it is to most of us. But at least we're putting it in your mind. And if you've got this, at least you can remember that the Texas Receptus, in my estimation, is reaching back, is an effort to break away from Catholicism. And it touches the Syriac text, which probably delivered the earliest translations of all. Also, is heavy with the Alexandrian. Uh, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, so you can have confidence in that. But you know better when some scholar or somebody comes up and says, do you believe that the King James Version is uh, was written by the Apostle Peter? No. You don't. You know better than that. You know, one fellow said that if uh, King James is good enough for Paul Silas, is good enough for me. You know. <laughs> if you can understand here today, I'm not running anything down. Not at all. I'm just simply telling you like it is, and then you know the truth. And you're able to proceed. I don't like for somebody to sell me something just because it looks good and sounds good. I want the truth. Isn't that what Pentecost is built on truth? And we, we need truth here, too. Right. As well as we do any place else. All right. The King James Version, uh, you said a while ago you felt like it was the most unbiased. Uh, yes. I do, too. I, I believe it's unbiased. Uh... Uh, uh, let me say this. King James uh, ordered a, a text for the people. Right. All right. Now, they didn't have the manuscripts we have at disposal now. And therefore, you can, you, can, you can get a little bit of expansion of words and so on. But the text is receptus mainly. The, it came from there. That's where it came from. And that was an ordered... Uh, uh, as I explained to you, Erasmus wanted to break away, and he did. Now, now you're going to hear this. Oh, and I showed you. I didn't tell you any lie. I showed you where there are there are uh, corrections made, but they'll get them out. It's the most corrupt of all. Many scholars will have that. When you say corrupt, sir, justify what you mean. Say what you mean. Do you mean that it is devious? Or do you mean that it is incomplete? I admit that Erasmus had to correct his text, but he did correct his text with other texts, and yet had a desire to hold closer to the, uh, the Assyriac than anything else. And so we know the church moved from, uh, Alex uh, from Jerusalem,
come to Antioch, and from there, it is no doubt in my mind, you got some of the first translations or some of the first texts that were printed at that point. Say praise the Lord. I thank you for loving his word. You're different. You're breed apart. You're men who take hold well. There's some of them don't care anything about anything but a, a songbook and a tennis shoe. <laughs> Just give me my songbook and tennis shoe and I'm ready to go. And then I said, I love the shout. I was sent by brother. I was I, 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 I was sent by brother uh, X that one day in camp meeting here, and some fellow was trying so hard to get us to shout. He wanted us to so bad, and I wanted to real bad, but somehow or another it just wasn't coming together for all of us. <laughs> and so finally, brother X said. I'd give anything if he'd say something that would make me shout. <laughs> it made like Brother Barnes had an evangelist one time. He was really trying to get everybody to shout. And uh, and finally got one lady up and nobody else. After Brother Barnes said, you know why you couldn't get nobody up tonight? He said, why? He said, you got the wrong one up first. <laughs> All right, you're dismissed. You can come up and look at these texts if you want to and stuff like that.